podcast number 19. That is a hat tip to Matt Merton as we're back here for another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Jeremy Spector is here. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. Cubs are playing great baseball right now. Winners of five of their last six. They beat up on the Cardinals tonight in St. Louis. Just two games out of first place. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll take a look back to the series victory against Detroit in the Motor City. Also three out of four against the Nationals. A couple of injuries impacting the Cubs outfield. Also the pitching staff. Some transactions will also bring to light. Tony Walters. Fuck off. Be gone. Fuck exactly right. Be gone. That that more tactful way of maybe putting that, Jeremy. I like that. But uh, he's gone. PJ Higgins is around. We'll talk about him um, and then talk a little bit more about this Cardinals series. Cubs at Pirates next week. Also, we'll look back on a great moment in Cubs and White Sox history. And we'll play another installment of Cubs Killers. We got three really interesting names for you coming up today. So a lot going on here. But, you know, Randall, it's Friday night. We're all well vaccinated at this point. The Cubs are playing good baseball. Unlike the Cubs. Unlike the Cubs, we're vaccinated. But hey, at least the Cubs are playing good baseball, Randall. That's got to put you in a good mood tonight. Well, the the Cubs may be having trouble getting the right number of shots in the arms, but their play recently has been a shot in the arm. They've been scoring runs. They've been pitching the bullpen that we on this very podcast were scratching our heads about not all that long ago is suddenly a strength. Uh, they've, they've, I don't want to say turned a corner because they're still only two games above 500, but they've mm-hmm. been playing great ball recently. Jeremy, this is fun. You go to St. Louis yeah. you slap around the Cardinals. What's better than that? Yeah. I just want to be like, you know, this has got to be our most fun podcast because Cubs are playing well and we've come on after a real good stretch and not just like, you know, serious, but like, we're, at, we're looking at three, four kind of series right now. And, and I have a few things to say, first of all, just off the top one, I would argue, I mean, I, I kind of want to put the offense storylines to rest for a little while because they've been really good for the past month and a half. Personally, I, the bullpen, you know, they've been great and thick, but I have a real question for Randall and for you, Ronan, too. Okay. How do you guys feel seeing a man who I think got three hits tonight with the name Sosa in red? You know, it's it's a little unsettling, but like most of these random Cardinals, he'll be gone in another season or two. So I just there's a Sosa out that. there in a Cardinals jersey. You know, Jeremy, it infuriated me earlier. I was uh, looking at the lineups and everything. I know that there's some injuries to Paul DeYoung sidelined right now for the Cardinals. So there's some vacancies and it's just wrong to see the name Sosa in that Cardinals uniform. It made me cringe every time he, I, I really have no ill will towards the guy. I hope he's doing the best with his career or whatever, but it pisses me off to see a Sosa on the Cardinals. Nothing, nothing good about that. Yeah. Well, really what the Cubs thing. need to do to hold serve is find themselves a McGuire and promote him to the major league roster. One good turn deserves another. Well, the Cubs had a Mark McGuire for a while with mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah, the front office. office. Exactly right. And actually, interesting story about that, Mark McGuire, because I got a story about everything that pertains to 2001. The first ball game back at Wrigley Field after 9-11, I went with my dad and my brother. They were giving away as like when you got to the ballpark, Chicago Cubs home hats with the American flag uh, stitched into the side. It was sort of the hats the, the players were wearing. And it was a recommended donation, which I imagine was either to the 9-11 fund or recovery efforts, whatever, something in New York City just after 9-11. The gentleman who distributed that hat to me when I walked in the main gate was none other than Mark McGuire. So I have got a 9-11 Chicago Cubs hat back in Glenview distributed by the Mark McGuire. Yeah. The Cubs Mark Mark McGuire. McGuire. Yeah. (laughs) Mark McGuire with a U. 
But, you know, this actually brings us into something, too, that that I wanted to get into because I, I buzz anytime the Cubs and the Cardinals play, even if the teams aren't very good. It's as good as it gets for me. Cubs Cardinals, that is the rivalry. It's old school baseball. They are always at each other's throats, too. Jeremy, I get the sense you love these games. Randall, I get the sense you don't love these games. Like you, you, these games these drive games. you crazy. I love winning these games. But you don't They're, enjoy the the, the mystique of the ride. Exactly, the ride. The highs and the lows of a rivalry that's a hundred years old. You know, I that's that's fair. More I than a hundred. I don't, often don't enjoy the highs and the lows because the lows just infuriate me so much. I, I clearly have a very healthy relationship with the sport. Um, so again, I like winning these games. I don't like losing. I don't like seeing some random nameless Cardinal first baseman outfielder clone who has grown in a, uh, a vat below Bush stadium <laughs> by Fred bird, uh, the mad scientist. Uh, I don't like seeing him hit, you know, two home runs in a game, Chris Duncan, I'm looking at you, but I, I like the Cubs winning these games. There's no, there's, there's no limit and there's no bad time to, to pace the Cardinals to the damn wall. Also an RIP to Chris Duncan. Jeremy, you, you enjoy these games though, right? Like you, you're a fan of, it's always fun. Cubs Cardinals. Like I look forward to this in the season. It breaks up the monotony of the pirates and stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's all, there's a little, you have like a heightened sense when you're playing the Cardinals, it, it yeah. means more and feels more, you're more emotional, which I, I guess Randall is not necessarily the biggest fan of, but uh, you know, especially when you get a nice game like today, 12, three, you know, that's a huge win. So we'll all be riding high after that one, but yeah, it's, it's something exciting. It's something you get a rivalry. I love going to those Cubs Cardinals games. It's one of my favorite times to be at Wrigley. I've only ever been to one in St. Louis and it ended pretty well we had for a good us. Time. We, we had, had a good very time. good time. Very good time. Uh, back, uh, you know, a few years ago, Wellington Castillo, man. Just yeah, the beef. Bombs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I like the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. It's always been good to me. Yeah, it, I think it's great. And it's something that you got to be fortunate. Like I, I pay a lot of attention to the Rockies. I was telling somebody the other day, I've been to six Rockies games already this year. They're the worst team in baseball. And I've seen them six times already. But the Rockies don't really have a rival. Right. The, the closest ballpark is a thousand miles away. Then you, you've got the Dodgers. They've got their own rivals. You've got the Giants. They've got their own rivals. The Padres don't care about the Rockies. There's just nothing local to have that history that the Cubs and the Cardinals have as a baseball fan. That that's cool. And I think we're fortunate that the team that we happen to like happens to have the history, whereas a team that came into existence 25, 26 years ago didn't have that luxury. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, the Rockies, there's nothing, as you said, there's nothing even close no. to the Rockies. It's the middle of Phoenix, not nowhere. It's not that like, close. No, it's nothing that's, no. and you know, here, you, St. Louis, you know, it's, it's a drive, but it's a, it's a decent drive. You could do it. And, you know, that was like as far west as baseball used to be at the, you know, 100, 120 years ago. So it, it's fun to have a, a, a long rivalry like that. You know, Bears, Packers, similar in football. But, uh, you know, these games always mean a little bit more. Well, Jeremy, you mentioned earlier the offense riding high right now. Um, that was the case tonight, a 12-3 win in St. Louis. Run differential for the Cubs up to plus 16. Gentlemen, that is fourth best in the National League. You got to get out of the West where the Giants are doing wonders. Obviously, the Padres and Dodgers have great teams. Cubs suddenly have the fourth best run differential in the NL. Jeremy, this is exciting. Like, there's contributions coming all over, and there's so many individuals we can pick out. But in the last week, Jock Peterson stepping up, Ian Happ stepping up, Nico Horner stepping up, Matt Duffy still doing things in a starting role and coming off the bench. This has been fun watching this offense click. It's about time, too, because it was a rough start the first month of the year. 
Yeah, definitely. And if you go back to like uh, April 17th, which I believe is the date when the Cubs uh, beat up on the Braves the first time, they beat them like 13 to four, a bunch of homers. Uh, the Cubs have arguably the best offense in baseball. They're tops in a few different stats. They're like number two in others, number three in a couples. It's basically them, the White Sox, and the Astros are like the top three offenses in baseball since that. And that's over a month now. That's like a month and a week now. So it's like five weeks. Uh, and you mentioned it. It's coming from all different places. Chris Bryant hasn't dropped off, really. He's still no. hitting. Uh, Baez has been doing what Baez does. I mean, he, he's had a few walks, but he's not taking walks. But he hits for power, and he, he, he gets crazy. Sometimes he has weak hits, and he's able to beat them out or turn them into doubles. And then you've got Contreras struggling a little bit, but he's been hitting. Hap has turned it around lately. Peterson has been hitting balls extremely hard since he came off the IL. You mentioned Duffy. Even guys like Bodie and Hayward, when – Hayward got hurt. We'll discuss that a little later. They're hitting balls hard. Like Bodie is hitting balls really hard. Even the ball today, when he had bases loaded and they didn't score runs, he hit into uh he, he got he hit that ball 105 miles an hour. That that ball is 61% of the time. That ball's a hit. And then he hit a uh, a single today, which could have been a double, but he got thrown on second. That scored two. And so he, they're all hitting balls. And I just also want to mention Jake Marisnik, who was hitting really well, is out. Yeah. Awesome Romine, who expected to do things is out. Uh, so we had Tony Walters for the longest time in there as well. And uh, so there's a few guys, I mean, Hayward just went to the IL. There's a few guys that have been hurt that we kind of expected to be contributors. And uh, a guy like Sogard, who we, you know, uh, hasn't really kind of, but he's had hits in big spots. You know, he, he struggled, but like tonight he has a big hit and certain pitch hit appearances. He had a big hit, uh, earlier in the season, I guess the Brewers, I want to say. And so he's hitting big spots and, and I don't, it's not like, I don't feel like it's been a fluke. Like, I feel like we cut down the strikeouts a little bit. We were walking for the most part outside of Javi, obviously, but he's done better than he has. In the past. <laughs> yes. Actually, if, if you look at Javi, uh, not to go too long, but if you look at Javi in that time period of that month, his strikeout rates only like 24%, which is like really good, obviously for Javi, it was like 50% up to that. And it's like 25% since then. So they've been really good. Jeremy, to your point about uh, David Vodie, uh, he's actually been unlucky, uh, courtesy of uh, user on Twitter, Ball Squawk, a, a, at B-A-L-L-S-K-W-O-K, shush, Ronan, um, who <laughs> tracks this sort of thing, and I've noticed it recently. He's making great contact right now. Uh, uh, MLB Savant, the, the website, the service that tracks hard contact, Bodie is already has as many barrels, as many... Uh, hard contact this season as he did all of last season. And he's just not getting lucky on a lot of these. So if a lot of these start falling in more, Bodie could explode into another solid contributor for this offense. Right now, the numbers aren't great, especially the rate stats. But again, he's hitting the ball hard, to your point. Uh, there, there are guys on this offense who are just doing that consistently right now. Jock Peterson keeps lining uh, base hits into the, the, the hole in left field. And the power is going to come. He homered to lead off the game tonight. Guys who we left for dead a month ago have have risen. And it, it's it's a lot more fun to watch now than it was when it was 38 degrees at Wrigley. Yeah, weather heats up, bats heat up. You know, everybody was freaking out two weeks into the season. I was I was trying to be a little calm. Hold your horses. We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to, like, you know, crow and say, look at all, because, like, where we are, because there's still a long season. Anything could happen within the next couple of months. I mean, we could drop down but i'm just going to say the way things are right now and the way they're hitting is not necessarily doesn't seem flukish it seems legit 
to me at least. Uh, they're all hitting balls hard. I, and that's why I'm a big Bowie defender. Every, I mean, he hasn't kind of come through, but every year he hits balls really hard. So I always want to keep giving the chance. And we mentioned Hap, who, you know, had two homers yesterday. He's been really coming along too. He's another guy who's been hitting balls hard. So it's nice to see these guys like, get, start getting rewarded for that. Totally. Totally. Chris Bryan is having an MVP caliber yeah. season right now. If he maintains this pace, he's an MVP again in the National League. And and how rewarding that has been to see him healthy and playing like the player that we all know he's capable of. A big year for him. Contracts up. We don't know if he'll even be a Cub come August, but he's playing like a, a Hall of Famer right now. So it's been a lot of fun to see that resurgence with him because when he's on, it's, it's one thing. The home runs are obviously fun to see. We've talked a lot about his defense. He's played every position. He still has not played third base since April 20th this year, right? This is a guy who's played all over the diamond, but one of the best things that Chris Bryant brings to the field as well is his base running. He's fun to watch when he's moving around the bases, gets from third to first with ease. And that's the exciting plays in baseball that we're missing a lot of right now in this home run walk strikeout era, the ball in the gap where the guy scores from first, that's exciting baseball. Chris Bryant epitomizes that and he's putting it together. So it's been fun to see that. And, and you're talking about jock. It's felt like over the last couple of days, man, he's just ready to pop. He's hitting the ball hard. He's spraying it around the field. First pitch home run to open up the ball game in St. Louis. His introduction to the Cubs Cardinals rivalry. That guy's been involved in one of the other great rivalries in baseball, Dodgers Giants. So his first taste, the Cubs Cardinals, big crowd at Bush Stadium, knocks the first pitch of the ball game out of the park. How cool is that? That's a great Cubs moment for Jock Peterson. Yeah, he's been huge. I, I, he's been like 400 since he came off the IL. Even today, one of his out, he had a ground out, and I think like a second bat was 108 miles an hour. So he's just been hitting ropes. I think he leads, since he came off the IL, I think he leads all players in like average exit velocity, and it's all hard hit, basically. So, and to go back, just go back to your Bryant point, it's like, we're not even talking about Bryant, but he's just been like, just so good. It's easy to yeah. overlook. I mean, he roped, absolutely cr- cranked the ball today for a double, uh, and then he had a great at bat where he had a, a huge walk in that eighth inning to really to extend it, take the lead, go or they were already in the lead, but to extend the lead. Uh, so like he, he's just been great and he's playing yeah. all over. He's playing everywhere. It's awesome. It's awesome to see it. And it's great to see these players that can play all over the field. I know it's not exactly the same, but look at what Otani's doing in Anaheim. He's one of the best pitchers, one of the best hitters in baseball right now. He's, he's, pitching games and then after he's done pitching he's being moved to the outfield so he can continue to bat it's incredible a little bit different with Bryant. Obviously, he's not pitching, but the fact that he can play center field, right field, left field, first base, third base, he's slugging the ball all over the place. It's a lot of fun, and it's sort of a glimpse of what maybe baseball is going to look like in the next decade to 20 years as these super athletic players continue to infiltrate the sport. Uh, one of the things, we've talked a lot about watching old footage from – I say old footage and I'm talking about the eighties and the nineties In our world, that's old footage. The athletes were not remotely what they are now. You can see that in just the bodies, even in the steroid era, they almost look cartoonishly big. And there's a lot of guys that just don't look like professional athletes that were playing baseball back then. It's not really the case so much anymore. Yeah. There's still a handful of guys, but, but it's a different beast right now. And these players are achieving things that we've never really seen before. Another no hitter this week in baseball. It just continues to pile on. Yeah, obviously we've discussed the issues about around uh, all the pitching. But, you know, uh, just with KB, just his versatility has been a huge help to the offense because or, or the Cubs just because it allows, you know, so many different things you could do. You could have Duffy playing third. You could have Bodie in there. You could have 
you know, uh, Sogard or Nico have, have been able to play more, especially when Hayward's been hurt or Peterson's been hurt. It, it just gives you – it lets you cover more things. And so it's been a huge help to the offense. But I also want to talk about the bullpen. I mean, the bullpen yes. has been so good. Like well, the starting – yeah. Well, let's get right into that. I mean, there have yeah, been just... an influx of some new names that have infiltrated into the bullpen. We've known plenty about Kimbrell, even Chafin going back to last year. It's the Justin Steeles, the Keegan Thompsons, Randall. It's a lot of fun. Young power arms coming up in this Cubs bullpen that look nasty. And this has been a nice change of pace off of some of those soft tossing veterans that they've had the last three or four years. You know, the, the knock on the Cubs up until this season was they can't develop pitching. And yet here you are with two rookies who are consistently giving you multiple innings out of the bullpen on a regular basis. Uh, a 30 year old signed out of independent ball, not all that long ago. He's out there throwing 97 with a nasty breaking ball. And, you know, we've watched the Cubs uh, choose quote unquote pitchability for so long guys who top out at 91, 92, but they've got poise. Now we're seeing them develop and bring up guys who are throwing gas. Ryan Jensen, who pitched for South Bend tonight, he's throwing in the mid to upper nineties. There's velocity in the system now, and you're starting to see it come up and positively impact the Cubs. You know, I think the question might be if guys like Thompson and Steele might be destined for the rotation someday. If that velocity ticks down a little bit, as you're asking them to go five, six, seven innings. But for right now, using these guys in these multi-inning bullpen roles, they're going out there and they're giving you 95, 96 miles per hour on the regular. And it's great to see pitchability is great. The ability to uh, hold, you know, hold your poise on the mound is great, but there's no substitute for throwing in the mid to upper nineties and letting it eat. Jeremy, how about, Tommy Nance, 30-year-old yeah. rookie coming out just throwing nasty, nasty pitches. What a surprise, pleasant surprise that's been here in the last week. Yeah, what about Tommy Nance coming into the game tonight in a huge spot, his third major league appearance uh, in a, a, you know, a 4-2 game at the time. He did give up the hit. That's made it 4-3. But then he comes back against Edmund. Uh, I think it was Edmund. Or it was Carlson. Uh, whatever. He gave it doesn't up matter. He, to, got, he, he gave yeah. up the hit to Carlson. Oh, you have to hit the Carlson. So, okay. So, so, uh, then they got Goldschmidt, right? Yeah. He got Goldschmidt. For so I uh, getting out. Paul Goldschmidt. That's even bigger. Okay. Paul Goldschmidt for that final out, keep it four or three. And then the Cubs go off in the eighth inning to put it out of reach. That's a huge moment in the game. Yeah. And they gave it to a guy who that's his third career major league appearance, but he's just been so nasty that like it made sense. And so it's been great. Now I, I want to say like going back to last year, I felt like they, Kind of, it was really like the 2019 team. I thought in 18, it was like you had all these old veterans that like couldn't throw. They like, you know, your uh, Steve C. Shacks, your yeah. Kyle Ryan's, who's made a couple of appearances this year. Uh, uh, Kinsler's. Kinsler. I, I, was, I was almost going to say Brandon Workman, but I was trying to think Brandon Kinsler. Brandon Kinsler, yeah. And then in 2020, I thought like we were starting to kind of see more guys that like you have good stuff. We just kind of do it. But even like, let's go. I was kind of high on this bullpen going into this season, but. The guys I was I was high on are not the guys that were are pitching now. So like, let's look back at spring training. Who are we kind of thinking that like we're going to be pitching? Rowan Wick not there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jason Adam not really there and had a, a apparently a tragic injury today uh, where he had to be taking the ambulance for a, oh. a non like a it's a batting practice for a leg what, injury. What Iowa manager Marty Peavy called, and I quote, an open dislocation of the ankle. Yeah. Which so if I that's guess we're anything, not seeing, we're if not that's anything seeing, what so. it sounds like, you probably don't want to look up uh, images of that injury. 
Yeah, so another name I was going to say, Brandon Workman, who came in and got DFA'd like within the first week of the season or two weeks. So, and then Jonathan Holder, who never has come in. And these are all names that like, okay, we thought like would be in the bullpen. We discussed them all spring training and they're not there. But the guys that have been there, I hopefully Justin Steele can come back sooner. That's kind of sounds like maybe that'll be like a few weeks, possibly a month or so. So that's kind of disappointing. And I have some opinions on what got him hurt. I kind of feel like maybe we're in the university age stages. Like why we, why is Justin Steele need to be running the bases? But right. uh, you know, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, who last week I kind of put it down a little bit for being in a spot where I'm like, he's not getting strike. Since I've said that he's gotten like all whiffs, like it's been crazy. So he's been pitching great. And like, you look at Tommy Nance tonight, you know, obviously Chafin and Kimball have been great. Although Chafin's got some help from his best friend, Nico Horner in the last couple of games, but like Kimball has been amazing. It's so much so that me, a person who was down on him, I'm like, I kind of want to bring him back. He's so good right now. And Winkler looked good tonight. Even Brad Wick. I mean, he came in and pitched a ninth that gets, you know, not really great, you know, guys, but he looked pretty decent. So it's like, it's like everybody's kind of, doing it in the pen uh Al, you know guys even Alec Mills is like on the aisle other guys are stepping up so like I, it's crazy because it's like the starting rotation we've all talked about their issues but right now it's like you if you get like four or five innings with the rotation and you're in keeping the game with the way the Cubs offense is going the way the Cubs bullpen's pitching you kind of feel good you're like look at what happened with Trevor Williams the other day it's like you know he gave up a couple of runs early but he pitched he got him to the fifth and then the bullpen just took over, shut the door, and the offense went to work. So, like, it's been great. It's a complete 180 from what we were experiencing early in the season. And, you know, bullpens are volatile week to week, month to month. Bullpens and relievers go through slumps just like hitters do. But right now you trust this bullpen. And, you know, maybe you trust some guys more than others. And invariably they're going to falter eventually. But right now, you, you trust them. If David Ross has to pull his guy in the fourth or the fifth, you trust that there are guys in that bullpen right now who can hold it down the rest of the way. And that's a great feeling as a fan. I'm sure, Dave, I'm sure it's an okay feeling for David Ross. You know, it's all about us here. But it, it's, it's great to see. It's good to have faith in key parts of your team coming through for you. And that's what we have in the bullpen right now. We have faith that they're going to hold it down if they need to. Yeah, I just want to say, I feel like David Ross, you guys are mentioning, I feel like he has tons of faith because I feel like he's gone out there and just been making moves, you know, pulling the starter at like any chance he can, because he has so much confidence in his pen. It's like, all right, third time around, you're, you're not going to face whoever to Azalai, to Williams, to, you know, whoever's out there. He's just like bringing the pen and full disappointed that Steele won't be around. Cause I feel like he's been a huge part of that, but um, it seems like David's really been pushing that. Yeah, even, you know, Justin Steele's a big, a, a big loss because as much as we're talking about the pitching contributing, there is no substitute for a lefty with great stuff who can go out there and give you multiple innings. There's so many tough left-handed hitters in the game right now, and that's, that's a huge weapon to lose. So you hope the hamstring isn't too long of an injury for him. You hope he can come back and still be effective. But, yeah, what, you know, what, can, what more can we say? So great job to these guys a lot of whom were in the minors for more than a couple of years and they've, they've come up and they've contributed almost right away. Well, Randall, you mentioned Justin Steele to the injured list. A couple other transactions here in the last few days, Jason Hayward out. He's on the 10 day IL. Um, Jeremy, he hasn't done much offensively this year. We, we all love what he brings to the clubhouse. He's obviously a solid defender, but the bat has not been there. It, it almost feels like a little bit of a breather for him. Get it right. Let's get him healthy, but I don't miss it so much in the lineup right now. 
Well, hopefully, you know, he gets a similar thing to what happens with uh, Jock, you know. Uh, and with I feel Hap. like he's... And with Hap. And with Hap. Hap, and, with Hap. and with Hap. And, you know, Nico came off the IL, and he's been in the ball hard, too. So, so it seems to me this is how Jason Hayward breaks out. Yeah. So, but I mean, Jason, to be to be fair for Jason, he has been hitting the ball hard. He's like third on the team in hard hit percentage. Uh, but most of it's just been into the ground. So, you know, if we could just kind of get a little bit more lift, uh, the Jason Hayward of last year might be able to come back a little bit. But yeah, you know, I, I, I'm still, I'm a Jason, I'm, I'm not going to say, I don't think he's a, you know, a great player. He's probably not worth the contract the Cubs paid for him. But I think he's been a solid enough player for them. Obviously, the first two years are really going to cloud you because he was terrible yeah. in 16. He was terrible in 17. But since then, he's been a solid enough hitter. He's been a, a, an above-average defender. He can run the bases. He does a lot of little things. So hopefully, you know, coming back, we'll get him back a little bit. His uh, defense will play up. And supposedly, his, his hamstring is not that bad, they said. Uh, Ross at steals is a little bit worse than Hayward's, which was kind of mild. Um, so perhaps he won't be gone super long. Randall, that's been like a thing for the Cubs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Randall, that opened up a slot for the Chicagoland native Nick Martini, a player whose name was built for puns. You're a pun guy. That must excite you. You know, I've, I've made a pun or two in my time. Um, yeah, you know, it's important to stir up the roster and bring in Martini when you when you have to. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know that Nick Martini is, is anything particularly noteworthy, but he's a warm body. You can play in the outfield. He started in right field in, uh, yesterday, Thursday's game uh, against the nationals. And that probably couldn't have been easy for him. I know the wind was blowing out. It was uh, a day game. So the sun and the wind can always do interesting things at Wrigley and he didn't seem overly phased. And I'm sure being an area native, he's excited to be playing for the Cubs at Wrigley Field with fans back, Jason Kipnis probably wishing he could do that, play at Wrigley for the Cubs uh, with fans in the ballpark. But, you know, good for him. Hopefully he can hold it down and, and continue to be a functioning warm body while Hayward is on the IL. And hopefully Hayward comes back strong and Martini can head back to Des Moines where the S's are silent, but the city is buzzing. Is, I was is at Kipnis... the game. Uh, he's with the is Braves. Kipnis playing? Is he? Is he I don't still... think he's in the No, majors. he is not. They, they The Braves released him during the spring. Oh. So he, I believe, is unsigned right now. Oh, okay. well, his Twitter account says he's in the Braves organization. I don't so. know that he's updated. Well, <laughs> That's possible. the last time. I maybe saw somebody retweet him yesterday, so I clicked on it. And maybe it said he's in the at Braves organization. AAA for them. We will, we will check on that. I, right I thought he was in AAA with, for them. But uh, but I don't know. I haven't followed. But the only thing I was going to say was I was at the game where Nick Martini uh, homered against the Cubs when he was on Oakland. Uh, I think Hap hit a monster homer and they ended up winning that game. But the Martini homer made it pretty close. And I, I assume that Randall had some pretty choice words at the time when Nick Martini hit that homer. You know, I might have. Showing his, I, his I family might have. Bleachers. It sounds like something I would do. I certainly can't deny that. Uh, uh, Jason Kipnis not currently listed on the AAA roster, the, the Gwinnett Stripers. That's a fish for Ooh. the logo. I guess a striper is like a striped bass. Not currently listed on their roster. Um, former brewer Orlando Arcia is on their roster. I hope you're enjoying a Gwinnett Orlando. You, you stay there. Uh, so I don't <laughs> believe, I don't believe Jason Kipnis is signed to a major league organization right now. He might, I mean, he could be well, hurt. His, his Wikipedia page says he's in the Braves org. That's, that's very true. He could be hurt. So let me rephrase that. I don't believe he's playing in anyone's organization right now. He could still well, be, uh, he could, he could be hurt and in someone's organization. Well, perhaps we will see him next week at the Landmark out there in Northbrook. Uh, it'd be good to be back in town, and maybe he'll join us. All right, Jeremy, you and I are both right. Uh, 
the Braves did release Kipnis on March yeah. 27th. But and they, they re-signed, re-signed him two days they later. They re-signed him two days later. So, so he's, not he's being on the Gwinnett roster, possible he's hurt. Maybe he's lower in the system. So you are right. He is in the Braves system right now. And hopefully he's able to get back to Wrigley and uh, play there with friends and family. And did you guys know he's from Northbrook? I've heard that. but I mean, I only went to middle school with him, so... <laughs> Well, here's a guy who I hope doesn't get a contract two days later. Tony Walters, DFA from the Cubs here on the 19th. Cheater. He's out. What's that? I said cheater. Cheater. Yeah. So, so what's the story today? It broke that the 2018 Rockies who beat the Cubs in the National League wildcard game were maybe cheating. How so? Well, uh, I haven't, Randall might have more details, but uh, Eric Kratz, the former Yankee and former Milwaukee Brewer at the time playing for the Brewers, claims that the that the Rockies were cheating in the 2018 uh, season. And, and you know, they played them in the NLDS, the Brewers did, after they beat the Cubs. So he claims that the Rockies were using uh, – they had something they were watching TV signals. They had you know, a system where they were – I don't know exactly, but I know they're, like, banging on metal – the metal benches and stuff. Uh, so Randall's got more details. Yes, indeed. This, I believe, is being published on uh, NJ.com, True Jersey, you know, re- re- very reputable website. Uh, it's being reported by Brandon, I believe it's Cuddy, K-U-T-Y. Brand- Brandon, if I'm mispronouncing that, I do apologize. But here's a little bit of the full quote from Kratz. Uh, he's saying that the 2018 Colorado Rockies were taking uh, a Thera gun. And if our listeners are not familiar, that's a, uh, a massage device. It, it uh, goes back and forth at a certain a certain frequency and it's meant to massage knots out of a shoulder or a back he oh. says they were taking that and banging it on their metal bench and they were doing that uh, from the tv feed and they were using that to, to steal signs and broadcast that via sound to their hitters and kratz is also adding that he knew of two other teams that season who were doing very similar things so, uh, yeah, Eric Kratz, the former Major League catcher, former Brewer, former Yankee, is blowing the whistle here on the 2018 Colorado Rockies, whom yes. the Brewers played in the 2018 NLDS, and they got there because the Cubs could not. In fact, both teams got there because the Cubs couldn't beat them. The Brewers getting there because the Cubs couldn't win game 163. The Rockies getting there because the Cubs couldn't keep Tony Walters from the getting the Rockies game-winning hit. cheated during game one. You know what, Jeremy? I like that. Game. I'm going to make that my head. I'm going to go to my grave thinking now that after Eric Kratz said that, that Tony Walters, it's Tony Walters. How do you get a hit off Hendricks? He obviously knew the signs. Well, Tony Walters did nothing really of value for the Cubs at 125, 276, 125 in 30 plate appearances for the Cubs this year. He gets DFA'd. Uh, the young man, uh, uh, P.J. Higgins, who isn't as young as I thought he was, he's 28 years old, the 12th round pick back in 2015. He gets a shot as he makes his debut here with the Cubs. He's had a couple of at-bats already. But I like this, Jeremy, because, you know, we've known for the last three or four seasons that Tony Walters has been one of the worst hitters in baseball. We also know that a backup catcher doesn't necessarily have to be the best batter, right? If they're good with the glove, if they're good framers, if they can throw guys out at second, there's value a backup catcher can provide. Tony Walters just didn't seem to be bringing anything to this team though and I like that at least the younger guy someone who may be around the organizations for the next couple of years even if it's in a backup role is at least getting some looks here and it feels like with the additions in the bullpen with Higgins with Nico starting now at second base there is a youth influx with the Cubs right now there are young players playing meaningful innings and contributing to a winning team that's really enjoyable that's a lot more fun than watching Tony Walters up there hacking every couple of games 
Right, and as we mentioned, the reason Tony Walters was even in there was because Austin Romine uh, had to go on the IL. But I thought it was interesting that they said they liked Higgins because of his versatility when one of the things about Walters was that he could play different positions in the infield. So I'm like, to me, it seems like they can't just say that, well, Tony Walters kind of stuff. Didn't work out. But yeah. didn't work out. But Higgins is another guy who could kind of play the infield. I thought yesterday watching him, uh, catch. I thought he looked pretty good behind the plate. He looked pretty clean. I thought he, he caught the ball pretty well. I was hoping he, for a little he more. He threw out Trey Turner. One of the oh, that was a huge throwing runners. out Trey Turner was huge on a strike him out, throw him out of Soto. Huge moment in that game. Um, so yeah, and I I was hoping you get. I was at the game. Um, the night game against Scherzer when he had to come in. I um uh, when so I was hoping that he would get the his first career hit. Then he hasn't gotten it yet. But, you know, it's interesting to see. The only thing Tony Walters ever did was there was that one brief moment where we thought he stole home, and that was awesome, and then it got overturned. Other than that, Tony Walters – they I'm lost okay that game with, by one run, of course. Yeah, I'm okay with Tony Walters being gone. Yeah, I, I actually was not that surprised to see Higgins up, in part because I thought Rizzo's uh, annual back issue flare-up was going to send him to the IL, and Higgins would have been the call-up uh, in, in order to – play first base, which Higgins actually has a fair level of experience at in the minor leagues. So it's a little bit like Victor Caratini in that he's not just a catcher standing at first base. He has a fair bit of experience. Yeah. Right. Um, But yeah, I thought Rizzo was going to end up on the IL and Higgins was going to be the call up. And I was pleased to see that Rizzo did not need the IL stint and he seems to be okay. And that they just jettisoned Walters for Higgins outright but good for him he's been in the minors for quite a while the Cubs drafted him in I believe 2015 so it's been a long journey up for him and uh, you know like to see him get his first major league hit first I'm sure he's jonesing to get that out of the way and not being an everyday player he's probably itching to to get that chance he doesn't necessarily get that chance every day but good for him. And I, it seems like they've invested enough time and opportunity into him the last couple of seasons, giving him uh, invites to major league spring training that they think that he can be your capable backup catcher and play a little bit of infield for you for, and not be a complete black hole with the bat for a number of years to come. So hopefully it plays out that way. And congratulations to PJ on his major league debut. Yeah. I just want to also briefly say that he kind of forced his way into the Cubs. It wasn't just like a Tony Walters is sucking. I think, Let's get rid of him. PJ Higgins had like in the first week of Miley and Triple A, he he had an OPS over like a thousand. He was he was cranking the ball. So I think they comes like you know we Tony Walters isn't really doing much. We got this guy down there who's cranking the ball. There's really no probably difference between the two of them in the in this moment, especially the way Tony Walters is playing. Maybe Higgins can give you something more with the bat. Exactly. So I Higgins think that kind of forced that decision. Like, I wouldn't expect a big hitter from him. I, I wouldn't expect – I don't think he's going to be, like, a career have a major – you know, he's probably going to be a pretty below-average hitter. But, you know, Tony Walters is giving you absolutely nothing, so maybe he'll give yeah. you something. Well, major league rosters are constantly in flux, and it's nice, though, to see that the roster today is more interesting than it was on opening day. There are young players, like I said, contributing here, and the Cubs just two games out of first place. They have a chance of leaving this weekend in St. Louis in first place in the National League Central. Um, We'll talk more about the Cardinals series. We'll look ahead to the Pirates next week in a minute, but before we kind of bring closer to this, one of the questions, Randall, that I ask you all of the time off air probably multiple times a day, every day, year after year, is, Randall, did you cry? Randall, did it make you emotional? These questions I pepper you with from the minute I wake up in the morning via text, voice memos, gifts. I'm just constantly sending you attention and questions. I got to ask you, though, Randall, 
emotional week at Wrigley Field, some World Series heroes back at Wrigley Field, Kyle Schwarber in the house, John Lester in the house, another Cub great, unfortunately not a World Series hero, but certainly a big part of the rebuild, Starlin Castro in the house, Davey Martinez in the house, were, were you sad at all seeing those former Cubs legends really back at Wrigley Field, Schwarber with a nice week too at a couple of home runs against the Cubs. Henry Blanco in the house. Well, Ronan, you're certainly not wrong. You're very reliable in asking me these questions on a regular basis. That's why they call you Old Faithful. You know, 1030 at night, 930 your time. There's the Ronan text. Randall, are you emotional? Nothing's happened in a given day, but you're still asking me, Randall, are you emotional? Uh, Yeah, you know, it was an emotional week at Wrigley. Uh, Schwarber back, tipping his cap. Lester back, trying to balance, I'm sure, what is a, a rush of emotion for him and pitch. I'm sure Lester was happy to get that start out of the way on Monday so he could kind of take the rest of the series off and take it all in. Um, but yeah, it is, it is great to see those guys back. John Lester and Kyle Schwarber are cub legends forever. Uh, I don't think either of them should ever have to pay for anything in this town ever again. I know if I ever saw John Lester on the street, I would say I'm buying you a beer. Like don't, don't argue with me. Um, so am I wrong? Am I wrong? Well, I don't no, know if I'm you'd be wrong. so aggressive with John Lester. I feel like, you know, I think he'd off. understand. I think he'd understand, but yeah, it, it is great to see those guys come back. And a lot of the time guys will sign with another team that doesn't play at Wrigley. And, you know, you have to kind of wait a little while to get that closure. So in that way, I think we as fans are lucky that uh, Schwarber and Lester are not only back, but they're back so soon uh, here in late May, as opposed to much later in the season. And we're able to properly give them the send off. One of John Lester's, Uh, regrets from the end of last year is that his last start in a Cubs uniform did not come in front of any fans at Wrigley. So I know I'm sure he really appreciated the chance to step out there to home plate, get gifts from his former teammates, take some pictures and really kind of get that closure that last season's uh, pandemic restrictions didn't allow him to have. So all the best to John, all the best to Kyle going forward. I hope you guys have, you know, great rest of your seasons uh, as long as it's not against the Cubs in whenever the Cubs play in DC. Um, so great to see them back at Wrigley this week. Jeremy, you were out there, right? Uh, yep. One of the nights mm-hmm. at least. Two, yeah. Two so games. Two games. Yeah. Well, so what was it like seeing Schwarber? I know he's a Hoosier and that probably riles you up a bit, but what was it like seeing oh, it them back out? Yeah, it was interesting, um, you know, seeing I, – I felt like Wednesday, Schwarber even got bigger cheers than they did Tuesday. Uh, but Tuesday, I got there early enough to see the Lester tribute. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, people were emotional. Uh, it was a nice little touch. They, uh, you know, the I thought it was cool with the gifts, you know, the chairs, the W flag with all the messages and signatures. Uh, so, yeah, it, I imagine for John it was probably pretty cool getting to pitch their, uh, the first game and then able the next three days to just kind of sit back and watch and just be a part and have fun. You know, I know his house is for sale, but I don't believe he sold it yet. So I assume he was just staying up there. And I did see he, uh, he, uh, parked in the Cubs parking lot. So I thought maybe, uh, you know, he get a little toe job there. Somebody should have called it out on him, but, uh, it was interesting. And, and I, I was also trying to give my applause for Starlin. I thought, you know, I know Starlin's been back, so he didn't get the big tribute. He did get the big tribute. I think in 2017 when he came back for the Yankees. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure Charles Starlin got his applause and, uh, you know, he did. He also had a big homer. But obviously, or honestly, to me, the highlight of any former Cup returning is Dave Martinez. Like, he really made a show for the Cubs fans, and everybody appreciated it when he 
he stole first base and threw it and kicked it. I thought that was a great moment. And it was really just, I thought Dave Martinez, he's like, you know what? I'm a former Cub, both as a player, as a coach, I'm a World Series champion. Let me get a cheer. Let me get a round of applause. And I think the fans really appreciate Davey, uh, his little antics. Yeah, Davey Martinez, consummate showman. That was great work on his part to, to pick up the base. And fortunately for him, that base came up easily. Imagine if you're, you're putting on the show, trying to pull the base out of the ground and it, it doesn't, doesn't want to come up and you're just well, left having to abandon it and, and go to whatever your plan B is. But yeah, that was funny. And it was in a game that the Cubs, I'm pretty sure that was a game the Cubs won. That was that the, the Wednesday night or the Tuesday night? That was, I think it was the game they lost against Scherzer. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a game that they won, but it was still entertaining. I mean, I could uh, be so wrong. But... Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for the entertainment, Davey. Well, Billy, Billy Williams said yesterday on the broadcast when he was on that he called Davey because, well, just to point out, also I thought it was pretty cool that Billy Williams said that he was the hitting coach when Davey Martinez was on uh, the Cubs in the 80s. So that's a pretty cool relationship that they've had. But he called Davey and he said that Davey needed to work out some more because he needed to get some muscle and some strength to really pull that base up because the first couple of times he tried, he did struggle. He didn't get it up right away. He got yeah. up on like the third attempt. Couple tugs, yeah. Couple he had a tugs, couple tugs to take that out. one out. Yeah. So Billy said you gotta get some more strength. Well, let's talk about strength. Cubs trying to do some work here in St. Louis. They win tonight, twelve to three. Game tomorrow night, national TV game Sunday night. Randall's favorite, the ESPN special. We'll see Adbert tomorrow. We'll see Zach Davies Sunday. Uh, Randall, though, you, you couldn't have opened up the weekend better. A twelve to three drubbing, a huge offensive rally late in the ball game. We, we've already kind of talked about tonight, but as you look ahead to the rest of the weekend here, you've got to feel good. One of your best pitchers, Adbert, goes tomorrow, and a chance to take the series going into a nationally televised game Sunday. Absolutely. Adbert is usually fun to watch. I don't know that the results have been completely there yet, but it, he's coming along very well. He's developed that great slider and Miles Michaelis, who uh, his opposite number tomorrow night, the Saturday game is making his season debut coming off of what I believe was uh, Tommy John in the previous season. So hopefully the Cubs can take advantage of that. And I know this is less the point you were making, but I, I feel the need to make this point. It is criminal that the Cubs only get one local game in this weekend. They're dealing with Fox tomorrow night for Saturday. And of course, ESPN for Sunday night, uh, you know, the national broadcasters, this isn't entirely on them because of course they have to, they have to follow so many different teams, but there, you can just tell there's no research done. They, they adhere to whatever thin surface narratives they read in, you know, whatever rundown somebody gives them. And it's often just so disconnected from what's actually going on. And I know I can't wait for Sunday night when uh, Vazgerzin and A-Rod make the point, hey, have you heard the Cubs have some impending free agents? Here are the best trade destinations for them from Buster, from Buster Olney near the dugout. I'm not looking forward to either broadcast because this is always what happens with Cubs Cardinals. At least one of the games and often two get co-opted. So hopefully the broadcasts <laughs> can behave themselves and hopefully the Cubs can win or even sweep the series. It's good to get that one win out, um, out of the way. I'm always worried that they're going to get swept when they go into St. Louis. Uh, and you know, that, that, that can't happen now. They, they've won one. You can't get swept in a three game series. If you've won one game, that's math. Uh, so hopefully the Cubs can play like this the rest of the weekend. That is true. Randall. And, uh, you know, just to go back a little bit to the pitching matchups, I, I, I like Adbert. I think he's been pitching pretty well. Um, he's got, he's got a little bit of trouble, but and as he's gone into uh, later into games, but hopefully he can finish it off. But uh, Michaelis is a guy who's, you know, 
he's had the Cubs number a little bit. He's he's pitched pretty well, and so is Wainwright, who's going to pitch Sunday. I feel like both of them have had to hit the Cubs number, so it'll be interesting to see how the Cubs can attack them. Um, as you Mariano mentioned, Michaelis didn't pitch at all last year, so maybe they're able to jump him a little bit early. But uh, going Sunday is Zach Davies, who I think has he's been pitching a little bit better the last couple starts. He's done better. I feel like him and Hendricks, although Hendricks has, I think, been pitching pretty well lately, but I feel like the two of them have kind of improved with each successive start, and Davies is getting to that point. And I do want to give Zach Davies a little shout-out, who, uh, a Seattle guy, uh, the other night when I went there, Tuesday night, he had been playing a lot of rap coming in as his walk-up song, but Tuesday night on the four-year anniversary of Chris Cornell's untimely passing, oh. he, played a, he played Soundgarden. On that, on that same night. So I can only assume as a Seattle guy, that was an intentional nod to Chris Cornell. So uh, Spoon Man was the song of choice. So I just want to give a shout out to Zach Davies for doing that. Very nice. That's a, that's a good touch. Um, something about the Cardinals this weekend. Mentioned this when the Cubs played the Reds a couple of weeks ago. You just know the home runs are coming. There's at least one, maybe two home runs coming from Nolan this weekend. The hope is people aren't going to be on base or you can kind of limit the damage there. Uh, just like we thought with Suarez a couple weeks ago, and he certainly did his damage against the Cubs. Um, Goldschmidt as well, another name that just kind of rattles around your head as, as trouble. So yeah, he, uh, this Cardinals team is... Yeah, and, and this Cardinals team is is not without its flaws. Like every team in the division, look at the struggles Milwaukee's having right now. Their offense is a mess as they continue to deal with injuries. Um, their best player dealing with a nagging injury as well. So interesting times for the Cubs. It's been a very weird season up to this point, but uh, optimism around the roster after this Cardinals series, a three-game trip to Pittsburgh. Again, another series with the Pirates. The Cubs have played them a lot early this year. And when you've got one of the worst teams in baseball, an opportunity to get some wins so you look ahead here after st louis three in pittsburgh the cubs come home they've got three with the reds three with the padres before a trip out west to take on the giants there's wins on this calendar over the next couple of weeks and if they continue to play well we could be very very impressed with where they're at seven ten days from now definitely uh yeah i i feel like april was kind of a tough month but it's kind of eased up a little bit i mean we still got the cardinals to deal with here but uh, look, the Cubs are what twelve and six in the month of April. So like, or excuse me, May. So uh, let's keep it going. Let's there's some chances to really make up ground. And I mean, the Cubs are one of two teams above five hundred in the division. Uh, a month ago, we we're doing this podcast. Everything's you know they're four under. They're you know they're probably in fifth place at the time. And now we're in second, and we're two over, and we're on a roll. So hopefully, we can right. keep it going. Randall, any weather notes here over the next couple of days in St. Louis, a city where there's always something falling out of the sky and then Pittsburgh next week, anything of note? Ronan, I couldn't have said it better myself. There's always something landing on the ground in St. Louis, <laughs> as has become the uh, the custom for every edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Our good friend Alexander Hall of at Cubs Weather on Twitter, nice enough to provide us with the weather report for the current, now current and upcoming series. So obviously the Friday night game has come and gone in St. Louis, but tomorrow night on Saturday, if you are heading out to that game, you can expect uh, temperatures in the low 80s, partly cloudy skies and light winds. Sounds like a lovely day for a ball game. And if you are heading to the Sunday night game, maybe to purposely miss the broadcast, A, great idea. And B, you can again expect partly cloudy skies. Temperatures a little warmer in the mid to upper 80s. It'll be humid, Alexander says, with a breeze out to center field at 5 to 10 miles per hour. But dry is the important thing, of course, for baseball. Heading to Pittsburgh for the series next week, Alexander describes the series vibe as warm, a bit humid, and a chance for showers and storms daily. 
for the Tuesday game in Pittsburgh. If you are heading out to those games, and if you are, I'm a little jealous because PNC looks like a great park and someday maybe go to a game there. But Tuesday night, you can expect temperatures in the mid-70s with a chance for thunderstorms and a light breeze out to left field. Wednesday night, much of the same temperatures in the low 80s. So again, a little warmer, again, a chance for storms, and again, a light breeze out to left field. And then finally, the day game series finale on Thursday, again, temperatures in the low 70s, again, a chance for storms, and again, a light breeze, but this time out to center field. So the Cubs getting a nice taste of some more summery weather um, as they are on the road for this weekend and next week. And right now it looks like as they come back to Wrigley next week, there is a good chance the temperatures will be warmer here. As the Chicago people know, it's been pretty warm this week, feeling a lot like summer. And, you know, that's always dangerous to me in late May because it feels like it should be June or July and you should be doing summer things. But you look at the calendar, it's not even Memorial Day yet. It, uh, it throws you off. But it's nice to see summer arriving and we can look forward to the green ivy. We can look forward to those summery skies at Wrigley. And uh, th that's what Alexander says to expect. Again, you can find Alexander uh, on Twitter at Cubs Weather. And you can also follow him on his personal account at Alexander Hall. He and the other individuals who run Cubs Weather did their, uh, as he puts it, their annual storm chasing endeavor. Last week, I know Alexander was posting all sorts of cool photos of uh, distant storms and clouds and tornadoes as they were chasing those storms. So give him a follow on both accounts. Take a good look at those photos. They're great stuff at Alexander Hall and at Cubs Weather. That, that's such a great call, Randall. Those photos are incredible. Some of the storms that they saw down in Texas. I love storms. I'm a weather geek. That stuff always fascinates me. Uh, what they were able to capture and fortunately safely capture is incredible. And the scenes of the skies are, are just amazing. We get some of that in Northeast Colorado here. Out on the plains, you'll get some pretty intense thunderstorms and things. But those pictures from Texas, the, the wide swaths you have, of being able to see the sky is incredible. So give that man a follow. It's worth looking at. Uh, reminds me, Randall, Central Illinois, 2006 Saturn Ion, driving around the cornfields looking for thunderstorms. Those were some good times about six years ago. Give yeah, us a nothing, nothing like uh, Scooter, your, your Saturn Ion, dealing with some of that Central Illinois weather. I'm sure Scooter was always a big fan of that. You know, rest in peace to that vehicle as well. I turned that thing in uh, after 15 glorious years and 140,000 miles about a year ago. And I missed that car every single day. A good point, though, Jeremy. Not only should folks follow at Cubs Weather, but give us a follow as well. At BTYL Podcast, you can find us on Twitter. You can find uh, random polls. You have opportunities to connect with us and obviously clips and things from the show as well. So and hopefully more photoshops. Hopefully more photoshops. I'm a big Photoshop proponent. Jeremy seems to enjoy my artwork. There is one member of this podcast who hates the artwork that I put together. So I proceed with caution as I make our Photoshops, but, but much more to come because I'm going to be back in Chicago next week, which means I'm going to have an opportunity for some new images to kind of work into the rotation. And we'll, we'll make sure to get that out on social media. I'm going to hire a security guard to take your phone away from you when we are together. Certain steps need to be taken. Well, this is a perfect segue. Uh, favorite yeah, on-field dust-up is something that we wanted to talk about. One of the great anniversaries in Cubs-White Sox history passed yesterday. May 20th, 2006, college freshman 
Randall J. Sanders ready to throw down a Chicago Cubs catcher. Michael Barrett collides with A.J. Perzinski at Sox Park. That ensues a fight. We've all seen the punch a million times over. Randall, over the years, so many memorable fights and brawls the Cubs have been a part of. Other than A.J. and Barrett, what stands out to you as one of your favorites? You know, I got my favorite right here. But real quick, we should say, you know, we don't condone violence on on the baseball field. Speak for yourself. Okay. But I will say... (laughs) I will say that if you can promise me no one's going to get hurt too badly, maybe some cuts on the face, whatever. If you can promise me no one's going to get hurt too badly, at worst, a couple suspensions and some fines, it's, it's entertaining every now and again, especially since so often there are no punches thrown. It's just guys jawing at each other. I know one of my favorite images from some years back came during a Tigers-Yankees game after a number of uh, hit-by-pitches. And I know that um, uh, Brett Gardner, was shouting very animatedly at the Tigers. And CeCe Sabathia, one of the most jovial individuals to ever play this game, was looking over at Brent Gardner and looking back at the Tigers and then just laughing fanatically. And you could see the, the gap in his teeth. He was letting it fly. One of the great images uh, I remember from baseball. Uh, my favorite on-field dust-up, uh, you know, there are a lot of great ones to pick, especially that involves Cincinnati. But I'm going to go with Anthony Rizzo in the 2014 season where he walked up to the Reds' dugout, he dropped his hat, he dropped his glove, and as I so often say, he told the Reds' dugout that the Italian buffet was open and they were all welcome to come get a plate. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, that was a season that the Cubs, you could tell, were on the rise. Solaire was up, Baez was up. Bryant was doing great things in the minors every day. Rizzo, of course, had already been there. You could tell that the stage was being set for them to be competitive in the near future. And that was the day Rizzo said to his teammates, you know, I, I, I hope to be your leader someday. Feel free to stand behind me. I got this. And I think that made a big impact on a young clubhouse, Anthony Rizzo going to the Reds dugout and challenging the entire team to come get some. So I'll, I'll take Rizzo and the Reds dugout, Cincinnati 2014. Jeremy, what do you got? So my, uh, I'm going to go with uh, not an on-field dust-up because mine's going to be an off-the-field dust-up. And my favorite is in the year 2000, I believe, as Jeff Goldblum would say. Um, it is when Chad Kruder got his hat stolen by a Wrigley Field fan who, and then decided him and the entire Dodgers bullpen, which I wish they were still down the lines, decided to go up in there and get his hat back. And they went after the Cubs fans, basically killed a rally and caused the Cubs yep. to lose, but still an amazing moment. And they went after, and they went after a guy security threw the guy out. They went after a guy, went after the wrong guy. And that guy oh. ended up like suing and getting like $700,000, like 400 from the Cubs and like 300 from the Dodgers. Cause they went after the wrong guy where the guy got the hat, like made away scot-free or whatever. So, so it was a pretty interesting uh, thing. And I, I thought that was an interesting time period. And I do want to say though, I didn't think it was funny a few years ago when, uh, I want to say it was 2018, I think, when the Marlins came back and there was a little bit of an on-field dust-up. And Chris Bryant went for the secret, the, the on-field tickle of Starling Castro, something mm. you never see. When Chris Bryant gave him a little, just a little to the to the stomach, a little poke, you know, what I expect to happen from Ronan at, uh, towards Randall this upcoming week. Just a little, a little to the stomach, a little tickle to the stomach. Put Starlin's bat in my hands and we can try that. <laughs> and Starlin left. Well, we're all vaccinated now, so I feel uh, much better about encroaching on you, Randall, and and certainly uh, testing your limits. That's something I'll do as soon as that plane touches down at O'Hare. I got one also from back in the day. You're right, Jeremy. That event between the Cubs and the Dodgers was May of 2000. 
Todd Hundley was actually involved with that when he was a Dodger too. He was down in the bullpen when all that was going on. He would end up being a Cub the next season. The fight that I wanted to mention was from that next season. I'm always in 2001, folks. So let's go back to spring training 2001. Cubs starter Julian Tavares drop kicks Russ oh, yeah. Davis of the San Francisco Giants in a spring training game brawl on the field at the end of the Cactus League. Tavares, who was known for losing his cool, he had lots of dust-ups in his career, but drop kicks Russ Davis, the, the classic Giants player. Spring training game, Jeremy, and they're out there beating each other. Just amazing stuff 20 years ago. I want to say that Tavares also like got into it with a fan. I feel like like he was shouting at some fan. I, I remember coming off the off the mound or something. Uh, that's just something that kind of, I don't I don't remember the exact details. But like yes, a man who had his fair share of, of blow ups and flare ups as you know another man like Michael Barrett and Carlos Zambrano also did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel like it needs to be honorable mentioned just because no one picked it. Kyle Farnsworth and Paul Wilson. Mm-hmm on the field in Cincinnati, you know, Steve stone have, I've soured on him a lot over the years, but his description of that as being racky tacked will always stick with me. Poor Paul Wilson charges the mound and finds linebacker Kyle Farnsworth waiting there for him. And that moment where Farnsworth picks him up and you can tell Paul Wilson realizes he's made an awful mistake because he's in midair and there's nothing underneath him to catch him. And Kyle Farnsworth planted a very nice Paul Wilson tree right there on the infield. That's a guy we need to see more of at Wrigley field moving forward. Kyle Farnsworth needs to be more of a staple at the ballpark. He had many good years in the Cubs bullpen in the early two thousands. I just want to get what I was saying about Julian Farez, I guess was in a regular season game from the same year against the giants who Russ Davis was on Julian Tavares in San Francisco threw a few knockdown pitches to Armando Rios. And, and, uh, and uh, I think he also might've hit uh, Marvin Bernard and so he was getting into it with the Giants and the fans were not too happy. And so after the game, Julian Tavares made some derogatory comments about the people of San Francisco. So yeah. and got in big trouble. And that's what I was kind of remembering. That's right. That's right. Not the smartest person uh, to ever put on a Cubs uniform. And that was one of his worst moments after kind of humor in spring training with the dropkick of another player uh, really made an ass of himself uh, with those comments about Giants fans. But many dustups over the years. I thought I thought one of you would agree about Farnsworth being necessary at Wrigley. I was disappointed for that to fall on deaf ears. No love for Farnsey in here. I'm the only Farnsey fan, I'm apparently, on the podcast. Fan. Who, no, who brought up Farnsworth f- planting Paul Wilson in the first place, yeah. Ronan? Number four, Just saying, yeah. we got to get him back out of the ballpark. It's a shame he hasn't he's been. He's playing football. So. He's playing, yeah, he's still playing semi-pro football, or was prior to the pandemic, still playing semi-pro football in Florida. There was a, a moment on this homestand although, you know, maybe it was prior to the National Series. There was a home run hit to right field at Wrigley that by the opposing team. So I think it was actually before the national series and a fan 30 something year old guy was there with his toddler or, or young child. He carried down that to the front of the bleachers. Dodgers. It was against the Dodgers. You're right. So the child could throw the ball back onto the field. A very cool moment to see that young kid throwing the ball back. The gentleman turned around, he had a Kyle Farnsworth Cubs uniform on. It's hard to find Kyle Farnsworth Cubs uniforms from, you know, 2001 or so that was tweeted to Kyle Farnsworth who gave something along the lines of a hell yeah, awesome Jersey on that guy. So I just feel like, you know, he's itching to maybe be back involved and it'd be cool to see him out there. He's, he's one of those guys that was a power arm in the early two thousands. And when he was on, he was as good as anybody. Uh, he didn't, wasn't always on, but that fastball and the movement he had on it, it was amazing to see what he was doing 20 years ago. 
Yeah, he had two good years, the 01 and 03. He was solid in both. And ended up having a long major league career. He was around for a long time in the league. Um, We'll do one more installment here before we bring this thing home today on another Cub killer. And we've got three suggestions, three names that we want to throw out. We'll have Jeremy go first. I'm going to go second. Randall's got the mystery box here. So we'll let him go third. Uh, Jeremy, you were thinking just before we went on, okay, a guy who could be a Cub killer. You picked one of the big time hitters of the 90s. Who'd you pick and why? I picked actually like one of my favorite players ever, maybe my, my favorite player ever. Uh, I picked uh, Gary Sheffield, who was a great hitter, violent hitter, uh, just a crazy good hitter who, if you look at his numbers are insane because he never, like there's a lot of comparisons of Sheffield to bias because of their bat speed, the way they stand, they're crazy, you know, just how violent they are at the, at the plate. But Gary Sheffield like never struck out, which is insane. He has such a, I mean, it's a different time period, right? The way things are. But so, so I picked Gary Sheffield. I didn't actually look at his numbers or anything, but I just remember him being a violent, crazy hitter who I loved watching play. And so I just assumed he hit everybody well, but he probably hit the Cubs pretty well too. Yeah. Even, even someone like me, who's not real great at recognizing batting stances, everybody knows that Gary Sheffield bat waggle, that timing mechanism he used instantly. So Jeremy, you had me look up Gary Sheffield for you, and you made a great point uh, last time when we did this, that there can be a difference between a Cub killer and a guy who is simply a great hitter and was also great against the Cubs. So this time I've made a note to at least get some kind of comparison between his numbers against the Cubs and his career numbers, and we can we can parse that out a little bit better. I know we have stats that measure a player's isolated patience, a player's isolated power. Maybe we can make up a new stat, his isolated Cub killer ability, so we can can come up with a uh, a good acronym for that but Gary Sheffield in 94 games in his career against the Cubs he hit 323 he got on base at a 461 clip he slugged 567 you put that together you get an OPS of 1.028 and in comparison to his career OPS of uh, 907 that is quite a jump so he outperformed his career numbers by quite a bit against the Cubs. And in those 94 games, he hit 18 homers and he drove in 60 RBI. So Gary Sheffield, another great hitter who also hit against the Cubs, but he also hit above his career averages against the Cubs. Yeah. 460 on base percentage. That's just ridiculous. Jeremy, any fond memories of chef in particular? Like, is there a moment in your head that you're, that's like, that's just vintage chef. Uh, I'm trying to think of something specific, something even specific against the Cubs. Not really. I just just like the whole Marlins vibe. I just remember being a big fan of when he was on the Marlins and that 97 Marlins team was like one of my favorite teams. I love that team. Uh, I do remember him coming to Wrigley, obviously, with the um, Braves, I think, in 03 when the Cubs beat them. That was pretty legit. But I don't really have like a crazy big Sheffield memory. I just remember the batting stance, the bat waggle, him just hitting. I, I imagine all these 18 homers were just line drive rockets, like barely got up into the air, but he was just able to just rip him down the line out onto, you know, Waveland Avenue. And just, 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 he just hit the ball so hard. He could, I felt like he could hit balls through people. And I feel like he's a guy, I know he has a little bit of uh Balco issues with the PED rub, but that's probably a guy who should probably get a little more, um, a hall of fame mention just for how great it hit. I know he wasn't a great fielder, but just a fantastic hitter. One, probably one of the best hitters to ever play baseball. Yeah, very fun uh, name to throw out there, Jeremy Gary Sheffield. Also had the 90s on my mind. Uh, hat tip to my brother, too, Sean, who also threw out this name. We decided to run with it tonight. Um, when you think of the 90s Astros, a lot of things come to mind. 
Kerry Woods' 20 strikeout game certainly resonates with us. But you had to get to the killer bees to do it. And one of those killer bees, the Hall of Famer, Craig Biggio. Randall, he had to have been a Cubs killer. Did he live up to it in his time against the Cubs all those many, many years? Astros-Cubs games at Wrigley, the Dome, and old Enron Park. You know, I would say he did. And actually, this surprised me. And I mentioned this to you guys before the show as I was pulling these numbers. Craig Biggio, for the accomplished offensive player he was, his career OPS was only 796, which actually surprised me. I thought it would be a little higher than that. But in 246 career games against the Cubs, which makes sense because, of course, the Cubs and the Astros were in the same division for quite a while. Biggio hit 275. He got on base at a 364 rate. He slugged 460, and that adds up to an 824 OPS, which again is higher than his career numbers. Um, and that his career OPS was as, you know, relatively speaking, as low as it is. That surprised me. But in those 246 games, Biggio had a great season against the Cubs, totaling 34 home runs and 109 RBI. So another guy who was a great who was a pretty good hitter and he was uh, also a pretty good hitter slightly better than his career average uh, against the Cubs. And I'll, I'll say this BGO was kind of at the tail end of his career. As I really started getting into baseball, I was a little bit of a, a late bloomer as far as my, my rabid fandom, but I, I vividly always remember that huge elbow guard that he would wear and he would lean into. And honestly, the word that always came to mind as I would watch him is kind of weaselly. Like he always Ooh. looked, he always Ooh. looked kind of weaselly to no. me, just facially. And I you know that's no. not fair. That's the, uh, the, the formings of a, of a, a developing baseball mind, but that was always the word that came to mind. Weasel. I, you know, I, I would give the you pine that, tar on the helmet. Yeah. I, I'd give you the weasel for Craig council. Craig council. Craig council has resting weasel face. He wears a mask See? in the dugout and you cannot hide the weasel. There is no it's, mask. You're starting to get some anger hide. when you mentioned Craig council. To there is no <laughs> mask that can hide the weasel. That is Craig council. Zach Davies has a little weasel in yeah, him. Zach There's some weasel. A... There's some weasel to Zach Davies and nothing specifically against the guy. Uh, at least when he's not pitching, but yeah, there's some weasel to him. I agree completely. I, I, I just don't get that with Biggio, you know, but I know what you're saying. He, he was an awesome player, uh, amazing, amazing athlete playing multiple positions, center field, yep. second base catcher in catcher. his time. Uh, really, really fun player from that time. Uh, Randall, I'll put you on the spot here for a minute. Do you know, or do you remember where Craig Biggio played in college? Craig Biggio, do I remember where he played in college? Um, you know, that's not coming to me at the moment. I know Lance Berkman, one of his late contemporaries, was a Rice guy. I know he was a Houston guy through and through. I do not know where Biggio played collegiately. Jeremy, this is in your uh, wheelhouse. Well, I, I, yeah, it's my wheelhouse, I know. And it, I mean, if you want me to answer, I will. Uh, and it goes back to the earlier we talked about Randall Bredoff on NJ.com. That's so right. From the state of New Jersey, uh, Craig Biggio went to uh, Seton Hall. That's right. That's right. And Jeff I Bagwell, it. another Northeastern guy. So mm -hmm. from Connecticut. Yeah. Exactly right. But he's from Connecticut. He was, he was up there. There's stories of him um, knocking windows out of warehouses and farmhouses and everything in Connecticut before his amazing career. Um, so some classic names here from the 90s. We looked at Gary Sheffield. We looked at Craig Biggio. Randall, you were all mysterious before we went on air here. You wouldn't tell us who was in the mystery box. It could even be a boat. Who is it, Randall? Who's your player? Well, as Ronan, as you say, it could be anything, could even be a, a boat. Jeremy, you made a great point last week that, you know, that's guys who are, yeah, that's all you do, Make Jeremy, you make points. nothing but great points. That, you know, the guys who are great hitters in their career and also great hitters against the Cubs are interesting, but sometimes you really want this guy who 
had kind of a nothing career, but it felt like the Cubs could never get him out. I'm going to go with journeyman outfielder Kirk Neuenheis, who oh. was a, a Met, a Brewer, and an Angel. And as you might imagine, it's the Brewer part of that that really got my, my hackles up. Uh, Kirk Neuenheis, uh, he has a career OPS of 695. Against the Cubs, in 32 games, he OPSed 905. So that's a pretty wow. wide gap. He has only 31 career home runs, or had. His career is long over, fortunately. He had only 31 career home runs. Six of them were against the Cubs in only those 32 games. And he also got on base at a 378 clip as well. So this is a guy who did not have a particularly impressive career. It was only parts of six seasons, again, with the Mets, the Brewers, and the Angels. Um, and of course, the his time with the Brewers was 2016 and 2017, two pretty good Cubs teams, both of those teams, both of those Cubs teams won the division. Um, so he was kind of a thorn in the side a little bit of those good Cubs teams. He has a career on base percentage again of 311 and against the Cubs, he got on base at a 378 clip and it just felt like the Cubs could never get him out. I know he hit uh, at least one home run off of a still very good Jake Arrieta on a summer day at Wrigley Field when he was with the Brewers. So I think this is the true definition of a Cub killer, a guy who had a pretty uh, not noteworthy career, but it felt like the Cubs could never get him out and the numbers bear that out a little bit. Yep. I, I, that's, that's what I like. I like those guys. I mean, I don't like them at all. I hate them, but those are the guys that I think of as cup killers, like guys that you, they just outperform against the Cubs. You know, they're, they're, you, whatever they do for some reason, it seems like they're always better against the Cubs. So I feel like Kirk Neuenheis definitely fits that bill after you reading off those stats, a guy, I always kind of, for some reason I confuse him with uh, Matt Dender, Matt Den Der Decker, who was another Den, Den Decker. Matt, I, I Den recall Decker. him. Yeah. Matt Den Decker. He, I, yeah. I recall him because I don't know what nationality that surname is, but Dutch, I imagine. Okay. And I know the, the Den, the D E N was always in lowercase on his Jersey and me having the interest in kind of sports aesthetics that I do. I always found it noteworthy that between Den Decker and DeGrom who uses the lowercase D in his surname, um, the Mets would actually take a capital letter P and they would flip it upside down to make that lowercase D on their jerseys. So at least two Mets who had upside down P on their jerseys. I imagine that got messy. Upside down P always gets messy, Randall. Uh, also, I think Den Decker went to Florida. I don't know why, but he's a Florida guy. All right, good stuff. Well, look, things are going well for the Cubs right now. They're 23 and 21, winners of five of their last six, chance to win this series in St. Louis. So a lot to look forward to. Uh, we will not be as long until the next time that we are back on here. And uh, it, we'll, we'll get something in here maybe after this Cardinals series or at least while that Pittsburgh series is going on because there's a lot to talk about. And then I'm going to see you guys next week. So we'll figure out something there to get another show going. Jeremy and I, we've got a couple of Cubs games on the docket. I got a game with my dad. Tip of the cap to you, Jeremy, for helping hook us up with those tickets. But it's exciting. I've not been to Wrigley Field yet this year. I've already seen the Rockies six times. So I'm looking forward to some competent baseball. That'll be a refreshing thing to get out to Wrigley and just spend some time at the ballpark. It's going to be fun. Uh, but before we wrap up, there's a note here on the rundown to kick it to Randall, which is ironic, Jeremy, because Randall's normally the one doing the kicking. And yet there's some big Major League Baseball news tonight, Randall. What is this big story this evening? All right. A, a very fun piece of MLB trivia uh, became or was put on the books tonight. 
if you follow the MLB account Cespedes Barbecue, uh, they do some work for Cut4, which is the quote unquote fun arm of MLB as well. They've been tracking uh, MLB player debuts for the last couple seasons. And it was just tonight that the 20,000th 20, player in MLB history made his major league debut. And that is catcher Jose Godoy of the Seattle Mariners and a tip of the cap to Alex Meyer, who is the Mariners baseball information coordinator, who is nice enough to reply to me on Twitter with that pronunciation. I didn't want to get it wrong. It's nice to have people follow you uh, in positions of information to provide that to you. So thank you for that, Alex. You can find him at Alex Mayer 34. So the 20,000th player in MLB history is a backup catcher wearing number 78, Jose Godoy playing for the Seattle Mariners, and he enters history as a very interesting footnote. So a tip of the cap to him for going into the, the history books as a, a very interesting bit of trivia. What number would uh, P.J. Higgins have been? P.J. Higgins, you know, I don't know that I have what number. He would have been somewhere in well, the, he the would last have been pretty five. Close. He would have been somewhere in the last five. I'm going to see if I can find that particular information for you. There was some hope, I think, among the people who track this sort of thing, that he might have uh, been delayed in the call up long enough to be number 20,000. Obviously, it did not work out that way. But uh, again, catcher Jose Godoy, he, number 20,000. I was 19,996. That's right. Ooh. And yeah, he's so close right, right after um, Bailey Ober of the Minnesota Twins, who was number really? 19,995 and ahead of Luis Barrera, the uh, outfielder for the Athletics, who was 19,997. But again, the sort of thing that in 20 years, when people are doing uh, baseball podcasts, they will ask each other this trivia question, who was the 20,000th player in MLB history? And it will be Mr. Jose Godoy of the Seattle Mariners. Mm -hmm. Just like we asked each other, who was the 10,000th player in Major League? Absolutely. And I have no idea. We'll figure that out. <laughs> Tommy well, I'd be curious, too. too, if you looked at the all-time war, career war of everybody ever, who's 20,000? Like, who is who is the absolute lowest accumulated war ever in the history of baseball? It's, something it's, probably, like, this. it's probably a tie among, like, 10,000 guys at, like, minus sure. nine or something. Well, it's something we'll take a look at. We'll we'll leave you with that, and it's something that we will revisit when we are back next. We'll get something either uh, right before the Pirates series starts or early on in it. Uh, before I'm back in town, we'll be back with another episode of Behind the Yellow Line. we got some big shows coming up, folks. Next week is going to be number 20, so we'll have to pay tribute to Corey Patterson. After that, one of the greatest of all time, Sammy Sosa for number 21. And then, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps our most important show ever. The Randall J. Sanders special number 22 coming up. So very busy summer ahead of us here on Behind the Yellow Line. And hopefully the good vibes continue with Cubs baseball. A chance, like we said, to leave St. Louis this weekend in first place. And that's what we're all looking for. We'll be back next week for Jeremy and Randall. This is Ronan. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.